John's Gospel, chapter 10. Uh, with spectacles. It's good. Ah, all clear now. Um, <clears throat> can we read a few verses and then we can perhaps talk about them? So, going from the end of chapter 9, we're still at this feast of dedication. So, about three and a half chapters are devoted to that one visit. The blind man in chapter 9 made to see cakes of mud, um, an artificial kind of blindness put on there, washed away, and he came seeing. Uh, And again, that was on the Sabbath, and fresh cause for consternation among the Pharisees. But by this time, things had resolved, and Israel, and Jesus' mission to Israel was over. In that, they had, they were going down the track of irrevocably rejecting him. And the amazing thing is that they, some of them knew what they were doing. I'm reminded of that verse in Romans that talks about man who uh, chose not to retain God in their knowledge. Can you imagine that? When I was a little boy, I, always, well, I heard about this God, that he existed. <laughs> I thought, if only I could know him. And that was just a little boy's response. Uh, I think I mentioned that to you. Uh, And I was fascinated by the Samuel story. Uh, My mother used to read to me, and I I used to keep asking for the Samuel story. And Samuel heard the voice of God. Is it possible that a little boy can hear the voice of God? But there is, and this is the astonishing thing, there is a category of humanity, and there is that potential in all of us who choose not to retain God in their knowledge. Uh, And so, what can be known of God? I don't want. I don't want him. Um, Astonishing. And just have a look in Luke 20. Jesus identifies this uh, developed in the Pharisees to a very high degree. You see, we, we read at the end here, chapter 9, are we blind to, verse 41, uh, if you were blind, replied Jesus, you wouldn't be guilty of sin. But now, because you say we can see, your sin remains. If you just flick over to Luke's Gospel, chapter 20, uh, Jesus had identified in them that spirit to uh, develop to a peculiar degree. You, you remember this when we read it. Um, so the master, Jesus was telling them a parable about the vineyard owner. And the... We'll better go from verse 9, very quickly. Jesus began to tell the people this parable. There was a man who planted a vineyard, leased it out to tenant farmers, and they went, and they went abroad for a long while. When the time came, he sent a slave to the farmers to collect from them some of the produce of the vineyard. The father, looking for product from humanity. But they, the farmers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent a further slave, another prophet, and they beat him, abused him. They sent him back empty-handed. He sent a third, they beat him and threw him out. So all God's messengers were badly treated by Israel. 
So the master of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I'll send my beloved son. They will certainly respect him. But when the farmers saw him, they said to each other, this is the heir, let's kill him. And then the inheritance will belong to us. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And this is it's quite clearly um, an accusation of the Pharisees by Jesus. He had discerned in them this spirit that knowing he is Messiah, sent from the Father, they had decided to steal, to kill, and to destroy. It's astonishing. They thought they could take God on. They thought if we get rid of him, we can have God's inheritance. We can be in charge. Get rid of this God stuff. We'll stand in his place and we'll be the ones wielding power in Israel. Amazing. Uh, They chose not even to retain God in their knowledge. So that's the situation and so Jesus has, has seen that this has resolved into an inevitable and irrevocable um, enmity between him and the Pharisee party and the rulers of the Jewish people. But there were some folk who weren't like that. Simeon, Anna, the disciples, those who loved the truth. And we'll have a look at that later. And they had a different spirit. They looked for the consolation of Israel. We know that there was a group like that. And we hear some things in Jesus' words and in people, things that people say to him that make us understand that there were folk who were profoundly dissatisfied with the uh, usurped authority, the carnal legalism imposed on them through the Pharisees. So... In chapter 6 we read, when they, all the people went away, there were many of them, no, no longer, many of his disciples no longer walked with him. And Jesus turned to his disciples and said, will you also go away? And do you remember what Peter said? To whom shall we go? Well, surely to the people who know the law, the people who are explaining it to you, the Pharisee party, who are telling you how to live and telling you how to be a good Jew? No, we can't go back there. To whom shall we go? Can you sense the dissatisfaction in the hearts of some with the external, immoral, religious Phariseeism? And we've got another phrase a bit like that. Um, In Matthew, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye who labour and are heavy laden. They had introduced a legalism that bound heavy burdens upon the people. And they didn't lift a finger to help them. He said, you've taken away the key of life. And you you don't go in yourself. And you won't let the people go in. So, uh, this is relevant. That preamble is relevant to what we're going to read. Because what we find is, the sheep didn't hear their voice. And there are certain human beings... There is a species of, there is a tendency among humanity that make us kids. Now that's not my idea. It's something that is contrary to my background, but it's something that I find in, on Jesus' lips. Um, and I've alluded to this again and again. 
those who do darkness run away from the light those who do light even though they're sinners there's something about them notwithstanding their need for a heart chain they do light they might still need to be born again they might still need to go into the cross and have that old spirit finished but there's that in them which also responds to God and says and we find that in chapter 18 as well in fact, just since we're on the subject let's look at John 18 um, Jesus talks to Pilate and Pilate says, are you a king? says John chapter 18 verse 37 so Pilate said, you are a king, are you? Jesus says, you're the one who's calling me king replied Jesus I was born for this I've come into the world for this, to give evidence about the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth, and that's a category of humanity, everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. So as Jesus came, there was a response. Those who were darkness and didn't belong to the truth, they were against him, they ran away. But those who belonged to the truth, Simeon, Anna, the disciples, those who were inclined, the blind man, disadvantaged, but when he saw that which was true, he was up for it. He, was, he belonged to the truth. So this kind of idea is necessary, I think, is necessary to help us understand these three parables. Because uh, we start to hear about my sheep and other sheep that are not of this folk. Well, who are these sheep? Apparently, uh, everyone that loves the truth. There's a category of humanity that is inclined to love the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth. Oh, so when the truth comes along, they say, yeah, I'm up for that. Yes, that's what I've been waiting to hear all my life. That's what I've been waiting to see. And there's that in their heart which, um, which registers that this is divine. Um, and that kind of idea, I believe, is necessary for us to get a grip of what the Lord is saying in these three parables. So, that's the preamble. Here is... <laughs> Here's chapter 10. So we've, so the problem was that the Pharisees, this is extraordinary, they knew that this was the Messiah and they were going to kill him. Astonishing. They knew what they were doing. If you were blind, it wouldn't have been a problem, mate. Yeah, I didn't say mate, man. Pharisees, if you were blind, it would, be, it would be different. But you know what you're doing. Your sin remains. You're sinning against the Holy Ghost. If you sin against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven you. If you sin against the Holy Ghost, if you knowingly um, resist the activity of God by the Spirit, it's all up for you. There ain't no more place. It means that there's nothing in your heart that God can appeal to. It's over. There's no forgiveness. Um, to sin against the Son of Man, you're deluded, you don't understand, you're... But for you to know the activity of God, I'm suggesting this is how we should understand that verse. For you to know the activity of God, for you to know His will, and resist Him, and sin against Him, and say, I'm going to get rid of this Messiah, it's all up. There's nothing left in you. You're so entirely aligned with Satan that you have to stick with Him. It seems to me that that's how we should understand those verses. The sin that can't be forgiven. Um, and perhaps that would apply to very, very few people. Very, very few people on the, in, on the world who know God by the Spirit and then go on to resist Him. 
uh, perhaps that's a very uh, unusual niche. <clears throat> Not our subject. Chapter 10. I'm telling you the solemn truth, said you. So, just, just for his audience, is these Pharisees who are against him and some of the people who are just coming to faith, like the blind man. He just started. Remember what happened to him? If you believed in Jesus in those days, it was all up, mate. It was rough. The, 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 the Jesus' own disciples, when he was taken off to be crucified, they hightailed it. I'm not sticking around for this. The Jews are after him. They're not getting me. And they were gone. That was his disciples. They'd been with him for two and a half years. It wasn't a good look. It wasn't an easy path. And so we find Jesus praying for them. In the hours before they scarper, he was praying for them. Father, I pray for them. I'm, I've kept them. While I, while I was in the world, I, I've kept them. And now I'm coming to you. Look after them. There was, until he comes again by the Spirit to indwell them and look after them himself and make them completely new. There was that inter-period. And so there was that man, that poor blind man. He, he didn't, I, I expect he didn't have a job. He was sitting in his backside, um, wherever he was, unable to see, and the Lord opened his eyes. Uh, he, he didn't have anything. And now he was thrown out. It, it wasn't a comfortable thing to be God held up by Jesus. So uh, they needed encouragement, do you think? Those who were just beginning to believe, they were coming up in there and they were going to share in the opposition of the Pharisees against Jesus. It was going to rub off on them. You're his. And so they would um, suffer the opprobrium of the ruling classes or the ruling Pharisees as well. So here's some encouragement for them. First of all, Jesus identifies it. It's, and I suggest to you that these can be understood um, historically. I'm telling you the solemn truth, said Jesus, to this mixed gathering, the Pharisees, and, and some of those who were just beginning to believe. We had the one who doesn't come into the sheepfold by the gate, John the Baptist, and the prophets, and all the things Jesus fulfilled. They reckon that the, 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 the rabbis used to reckon that there were 6,000 messianic prophecies. And Jesus fulfilled them all. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. That was a gate. The Father had said, when he comes, he'll do this. Jesus did that. When he comes, he'll do this. And he fulfilled all the prophecies. And, in addition, John the Baptist said, God sent me to tell you he's the one. So, there was no doubt. Every possible um, entrance had been made for him so that men should believe. In fact, that's why John's writing this gospel. He's writing the gospel so that you might believe. Guys, it's him. Look, now believe. And that had all been done. So that's how we looked at uh, last time. Anyone who doesn't come into the sheepfold by the gate but gets in some other way, the Pharisees is a thief and a brigand, they're violently taking hold of Israel. They didn't have any right. They hadn't been ushered in of God. But the one who comes in through the gate is the sheep's own shepherd. The doorkeeper that John the Baptist will open up for him and the sheep hear his voice. His sheep. So in Israel, there were sheep that belonged to other people and there were the ones that belonged to Jesus. The ones who were of the truth, the ones that belonged to the truth. And they heard his voice. 
and he put them out and, the, and I think we mentioned last time that when he had put forth his sheep he, there's an energetic ejection ek boe ek bola whatever the word was it's to throw out and, there's an, and when and we can't be part of any fold in the world anymore if we're to be part of the flock of the Lord Jesus the flock of Jehovah there will at some stage be a violent uprooting and we'll have to leave what we were in before. We'll be torn out. Our roots will have to come out of that root, of that, of that environment. Okay. So, he calls his own sheep by name, we read. When he's brought them out, actually, when he has thrown them out, all that belong to him, and he comes round of that, and he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him, because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. Instead, they'll run away from him because they don't know the stranger's voice. Exactly what was happening at that time as Jesus appeared. Those who had the love of God in them followed Jesus and they wouldn't listen to the satanic uh, usurpers who were piling on uh, religious duty in the guise of being faithful to God. Um, and you remember phrases like, you have the, you've taken the key, you wouldn't go in yourself, and you wouldn't let them go in. You, we, we won't go back to it. So, Jesus, verse 6, Jesus spoke this parable to, and that was last week, Jesus spoke this parable to them, but they didn't understand what it was he was saying to them. Remember, our friend is old. He's old John, about 90 years old, just before he dies. Jerusalem is dead, it's demolished. He had to leave Jerusalem. He's now writing from Ephesus, where um, he was loved and honoured there. And they said, look, write this stuff down. This is 30 years after the, after the other Gospels. The other Gospels were the... We won't go back there, but the other Gospels were the anecdotes of the Galilean ministry, essentially, what was used for evangelism. But there was a whole other level of intimacy that John remembered, and they said, write it down. And here was old John remembering, and thinking, he, he could remember that time. See, I remember, and they didn't understand what Jesus said. That's verse 6. He spoke, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. So he spoke to them again. Here's another parable. And the, and the similar elements, but a different, a different allegory. I'm telling you the solemn truth, he said, before he was the shepherd. Now, new parable. I'm the gate of the sheep. The first one was a mourning thing. It was all locked up, left in the hands of a gatekeeper, a doorkeeper. And the shepherds came in the morning, they'd been sleeping, they came there, and they got their sheep out and they took them out to pasture them. That was mourning, the first bit. The second bit, suggestion, is a midday thing. They're in the business of doing what sheep do, grazing. I'm telling you the truth, I'm the gate of the sheep. All the people who came before me were thieves and brigands. Whoops, we had that in the first part too, didn't we? We've got the same people appearing again. Should we, should we just look at verse 1? If he gets up by some other way, he's a thief and a brigand. The old version is a robber. Okay, and we've got the same category down here. All the people who came before me were thieves and brigands, but the sheep didn't listen to them. And as Jesus was walking the earth at 
that time there were people that came that came in before him and pretended to a mediatorial ministry and said, you don't know, you ignorant unwashed mob, you don't know what God wants, you've got to listen to us. Now, t- tithe your cumin and your mint and your aniseed. And Jesus accused them and said, you're hypocrites. You, you pay attention to tithing your herbs and you forget the basic things of the law, like righteousness and justice. So you, you remember that in, in Matthew's Gospel 23. We, is it worth reading? Have we got time to read it? We've got time to read it. Matthew 23. So they were already there, these thieves and brigands stealing that which belonged to God um, interposing themselves for their own gain, they thought we're going to fleece these people, we're going to live off there, we're going to rule them it was just political and they made it look religious Uh, let me just see woe betide you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites you tithe mint and dill and come in and you omit the serious matters of the law like justice mercy loyalty you should have done these without neglecting the others your blind guides and he goes on you wash the outside of the cup inside full of extortion and moral flabbiness Okay, so we've got this same crowd here and Jesus is contrasting him and them they had come before and they weren't mediators Jesus is the mediator he is the way to get into the sheepfold that is now not Israel but salvation so the sheepfold is different in the first one it was Israel in the second short parable the fold is salvation let's just read it I'm the gate of the sheep. All the people who came before me were thieves and brigands, but the sheep didn't listen to them. Uh, To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. You guys who aren't listening to them, I'm here to save you. Okay. I'm the gate. If anyone comes into salvation by me, if anyone comes into the enclosure of being saved by faith in me, I am the way. I am the truth. Do you remember that in chapter 14, verse 6? I am the truth. I am the way. If you come in by me, you'll be safe. Hang on a minute, mate. These blokes are threatening me. They've thrown me out of the synagogue. They're trying to kill you, and the disciples are going to hightail it when you get arrested. You'll be safe. Do you see the relevance? The historical relevance. Um, Jesus was offering some encouragement to people who were um, on the back foot, in a sense, mentally. It's all right for him, but they're going to kill him, and what's going to happen to me? You'll be safe. You'll be able to come in and out. You come in by me. So he's speaking to them truth and no doubt the Holy Ghost applied it and let it spring up with a further degree of faith and the very thrilling thing about these next chapters is how faith is we we observe and listen to the faith of the disciples being built up and perfected in the time before Jesus ascends to the Father 
It's very, very wonderful. But here, he's encouraging these um, early stage Christians, folk unconverted. They hadn't got the Holy Ghost yet, but they were of his sheep. They were being thrown out of the fold. They were being uprooted from the things that had given them sustenance. He said, you'll be all right. If you come in through me, um, you didn't listen to them, but if you come in through me, what does it say? You'll be safe. You'll go in and out, not in and out of salvation, but it'll be like your household. You'll be free in it, in and out, and find pasture. The Lord is my shepherd. David had discovered it. The Lord is my shepherd. I won't be in want. I will never be in any kind of lack. Why? Because God's my, he's got my corner. (laughs) Ben Ben has said that to me recently a number of times. God's got it. (laughs) Um... uh, the Lord is my shepherd. He's looking after me. He's protecting me. The safety of the sheepfold. He's given me pasture. I'll never be in want. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And you and I need to live that. I remember as a young man, I was challenged. I was 20, 21. And I struggled to trust that all the things, anyway, but I, that he was enough that I could trust him and that I feared that if I didn't look after things myself I'd I'd lack and I had to learn that they that wait for me I didn't have a job I didn't have any future the girl that I wanted to marry uh, wasn't interested in me they that wait for me shall never be ashamed and there was a hymn there. My other son had it sung at his wedding. Um, in heavenly love abiding, no change my heart shall fear. And safe is such and confiding, nothing changes here. And one of the verses is, um, nothing shall I lack, can I lack. We don't have to worry about looking after ourselves. We've got to make that transition. Say, Lord, I give up. My right, I give up my right to my life to try to control it, to try to direct it. I'm going to put it in your hands. Um, you're going to make, make me keep me safe, and you're going to give me pasture. I'll never be in lack of what I need to sustain my life. Um, Father, I trust you. Uh, beyond that, we haven't really started to walk with the Lord Jesus. If we still think we can do it for ourselves, uh, we haven't got the point yet. <laughs> But he's very kind. He's very kind. And he brings us to the place where we do get the point. He knows that we're, he knows what we're like. And he's able to cope with us. He's able to save us. Hallelujah. Um, so the thief, and we, know, we learn something about the Pharisees. Here's Jesus talking about the Pharisees. The thief only comes to steal, to, uh, to take away the access to God. To put himself there, the Pharisees, they were putting themselves there and stealing from the people their access to blessing. To kill. And the result of putting themselves in there was moral death, moral corruption. If you substitute the life of God with uh, religious stuff based in selfishness and based in ambition and greed, you produce death. The thief only comes to kill and to steal and what was the upshot and to destroy what was the final result of all this for Israel after they rejected their Messiah what happened to Israel 
utter destruction. AD 70, it was flattened. There was no more temple. The only thing that's left is the wall that they go and wail at now. That was part of the, it wasn't actually a wall of the temple, it was a retaining wall to build up the, the platform that the temple was built on. You know the wailing wall in Jerusalem? When politicians go there, they go and roll up a bit of paper and put it in there to pretend they're acting like uh, Orthodox Jews. Maybe that's my prayer. And you get, get some Western politicians going to the wall, rolling up and putting it in a hole in the wall. Yes, I'm. That, that's, that's the wall. That's all that's left. They came, they came around and they leveled the whole thing. Not a stone was left. The Romans, they were so angry with them. They slaughtered everyone who was in there and they leveled the whole thing. They pulled a plow across it. That's just history. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Get out now while you can. And they weren't. But his people were. So, I'd just like to suggest that we can understand these parables in an historical sense. Um, I can't understand. I can't make sense of it any other way. I've come, I'm different. I'm the door, and I've come so that they could have life. Salvation. Safety. Abundance of pasture. He leads me uh, in pastures green. He leads me beside still waters. I'm come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. A superabundance of life. Ah, what you mean? Life doesn't consist in the abundance of the things that I possess. That's what the world's ever. You've got to get this kind of job so you can get this sort of possession and this sort of house and blah blah blah. No, no, no. A man's life consists not in the abundance of the things that he possesses. I'm come that they might have real life in abundance. Uh, hey, do you remember in chapter 6, uh, what happened after they'd had a picnic? The five loaves and two fishes. I think the boy was out there to do a little bit of enterprise. And instead of selling it, he gave it to the Lord. And he fed 5,000 men and a whole bunch of women and children. And what was left over? A whole bunch more food. More, 12 baskets full of food. Super abundance. There was plenty of food for the sheep. There was never going to be any lack. I'm come that they have life and have it in superabundance. Doesn't depend on worldly stuff. And we go on to the third. The third um, allegory. I'm the good shepherd. Jesus continued. Hang on, what are you, the shepherd, the gate, or the good shepherd? All three, three allegories. Okay, so we're moving on. I am the good shepherd, Jesus continued. The good shepherd, and I was interested um, in that we repeated this phrase so often in our songs this morning, this afternoon. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So, let's just take it in a literal way. The problem is the wolf. And we don't want the wolf to eat the sheep. And so the shepherd stands in between and gets torn to pieces. He lays down his life for the sheep. Can I suggest... We ought to read it and then we can suggest an interpretation. Okay. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But supposing there's a hired servant who isn't himself the shepherd and who doesn't himself own the sheep. He's just a paid keeper. He will see the wolf coming and leave the sheep and run away. Then the wolf will snatch the sheep and scatter them. He'll run away because he's only a hired servant and doesn't care 
about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. For two reasons. I know my sheep and my own know me. He knows all about us. Um, he knows all about what we are to him and what we will become to him. I know my sheep. And my own know me. We also know him. And we know all about what he is to us. But let's read on. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. What? Listen, we've said this again and again and again. And here it is. The reason we say it so often is because it's on every page of what Jesus says. That he's come to bring the divine love between the Father and the Logos into the into flesh and bring it to us and bring us into it. So that the love that he has for the Father is replicated in the love that we will have for him and he has for us. Because it's the same thing. It's the, so that's the pattern and the source. Now look, this is really different from uh, a few doctrines and some religious behavior. And everyone, do you know what? This, this is earth shattering. It's life redeeming. That the love of God, the love that exists in the Godhead, is to be manifest in us. That we, not just that we aspire to it, we read about it, but it's to be manifest in us, and it actually becomes the main spring of our lives. Uh, it's a miracle. It is a miracle of inordinate proportions. Verse 16, I want to come back to that in a minute. And I have other sheep too, which don't belong to this sheepfold. I must bring them too. Well, where are they? That's all us lot. We're not Jews. And who are they? Well, all who belong to the truth. We read it in chapter 18. Jesus, um, Jesus was talking to Pilate, and he said, I've come for this, to give testimony that all who are of the truth. What do we actually say? We'll just quickly revert to that. So that's the size. Through the ages, Pilate, I've come into this world for this, to give evidence about the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. That's his sheep, the ones that belong to the Father, the ones that the Father's giving him. Let's look at chapter 17. you remember this. Surely you... Uh, have I got the right... Yes... Look at John 17. Just go back. He's praying for his own. Mm. Oh dear. I wrote it down. I just haven't got time to get the wrong verse all afternoon. Verse 9. 17, 9. So Jesus is praying for his disciples before his crucifixion. He's, he's going away. It's going to be separation. We'll come to that later. Verse 9. I'm praying for them, the, my disciples. I'm not praying for the world, but for the people you've given me. They belong to you. Same difference. They belong to the truth. They belong to the Father. I've got other sheep. They're there. They exist. They're already on the earth. There are going to be more coming as humanity 
is worked out. But they belong to you, Father. How do you know? They belong to the truth. They are these that do light. Okay, verse 9. I'm praying for them, not praying for the world, but for the people you've given me. They belong to you, and you've given them to me. (laughs) All mine, all mine are yours. The ones you, and all mine and all yours are mine. They belong to the Father, and the Father's given to the Son. They are a, a mutual possession. I've got other sheep to have from the land of this fold. Did you realise that the Father treats your thinks of your soul with such love that you're his, you're, he's, he aspires that you should be his peculiar possession? That you should be belong to the Father, belong to the Jesus. And the Father's giving your soul into the hands of Jesus. Hallelujah. So if we could go back to chapter 10, we soon must stop. But I want to read this. Verse 16. I have other sheep too, which don't belong to this sheepfold. I must bring them too, and they will hear my voice. Chapter 18, verse 37. All that belong to the truth will hear my voice. Oh Lord, they'll hear my voice. Then there'll be one flock and one shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This was ingrained in the Israelite mind. Verse 17. Did you think that God needed a reason to love Jesus? Apparently. The love of God for Jesus would have ceased if Jesus had not obeyed his will. He would have become his enemy. See, the Logos is eternal. In the beginning, God created... No, sorry. In the beginning was the Word. (laughs) And... I think we mentioned... I don't, have we ever looked at chapter 1? We saved it for Christmas sometimes. In the beginning, was already being, is the translation, the Word. So, Moses starts at creation. In the beginning, God created heaven and the earth. John starts anterior to that. In the beginning, the Word was already being, is a proper uh, expanded English translation of those tenses. He is eternal. But at the Father's will, he took on flesh. And I, uh, he took on flesh. He became man. It is the miracle of the universe. The eternal creator was made, he took upon him the likeness of sinful flesh. He became so that he looked like the very order of beings that had been fighting against him in all of time. And he came out, oh, I'm going to look like them, I'm going to take on, my, on myself the likeness of sinful flesh. Logos, go and become human. Go and take on flesh. It's a miracle. My God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. But this is the extraordinary thing. He's still man. The eternal God didn't only come into the flesh to save us, he came into the flesh to save us and be joined to us. So now he is the man, Christ Jesus, seated at the right hand of God. He's taken humanity into the Godhead. 
he didn't he didn't run out on us. He didn't say, oh, I'll just come down, I'll just pretend to be a man for a bit and then go. No. He took on humanity. And he persists in having his humanity so that he can still be joined to us. What are you... Why would God do that? Why would he want to be joined to the likes of us? Why would he give himself so that he should be wed to us? He can never get rid of us. He said, my humanity is permanent. Uh, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. He didn't only give himself for the church in death. He is giving himself for the the church in resurrection. So that when we read in Romans, God is for you, we could read it better like this. God is for you. That's why he's alive. He's, Christ laid aside his Godhead, he took on humanity, and he amazingly has retained his humanity. That's what he said. He must, the Father loves me. Look, one of the conditions of Jesus' new existence was that he should lay his life down. So, Logos, you've got to take humanity. You've got to take on flesh. And the condition of doing that is that you must lay down your life. And Jesus says, I, I, I'm not making this up, alright? I'm just trying to read with you the words of the Lord Jesus so that we should let those enter our hearts and let our hearts be awed by it. Verse 17, that's why the Father loves me. What? He needs a reason? Yes! That's why the Father loves me. Because I laid down my life. It was Jesus' will in conjunction with the Father's will. But that wasn't all. So that I can take it up again. He didn't run out on us. He didn't just save us. God save us from a gospel that doesn't understand there's nothing but forgiveness. It wasn't just about forgiveness. But that he, he bought forgiveness so that he could buy us and so that we could receive the Holy Ghost and he should be raised again and joined to us the death bit is wonderful but it's just the commencement of a much greater wonder that not only should he lay his life down but he should deliberately by an act of his own will take his life up again say right, I'm going to be the risen God-man Christ, the man Christ Jesus and I'm going to be wedded to my bride I'm not going to run out on them this flock of mine, I'm there for them God is for us is there anything else worth talking about in the world? Uh, we need to adapt our thinking, like Paul said be ye renewed in the spirit of your mind Uh, and that that condition our outlook on how we live our lives and what we do what we aspire to what? he didn't just die he rose again and lives for me he wants me to be joined to him today yes that's why the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I can take it up again 
Nobody takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have the right to lay it down. And I have the right to receive it back again. This is the command I received from my Father. Hallelujah. Jesus under command. Hallelujah. Are you under command, my brothers and sisters? By the grace of God, I am under command. May the Lord grant us grace to fulfill that word. But Jesus, under command of the Father. So look, we read in other places that the Father raised up Christ from the dead. We read that many times. But here, Jesus says, I took my life up again. Is that a contradiction? No, it's not. The, the Father's will worked in conjunction with the Son's will. He had to choose it, and he chose it. He chose to be raised up so he could be joined to each of us. Not only each of us, but to his flock. Join each of us and his flock, his bride. Now, there's nothing more extraordinary, absurd, and lunatic in the world, unless it's the truth. Uh, Hallelujah. How can... (laughs) What? (laughs) You loved us like that? Not only to lay your life down, but also to take it back up and live for us so that we should be joined? Just want to go back very briefly and then stop. Uh, I'm the Good Shepherd. I know my sheep and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. For him to uh, bring to us the love of God in the Godhead and open it up to us and cause us to be brought into it that we should go through life um, being known of him and knowing him. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. But the issue isn't our wretchedness. The thing we need to think about is our being joined to him. Uh, Oh, grant that such should be our testimony. Such should be our understanding that our testimony becomes clearer and clearer uh, and his name more glorified. That the light should be brighter and the glory should be greater. I don't know how we can speak about these things. Uh, They're impossible. They're madness. Unless they be the very revelation of God. Uh, On every page, it seems, we find this tenor of things in Jesus' words. Is that right? right? It's what he talks about. Other things of God, the things of the inner man. He's calling us to himself. Let's respond. Amen. Thank you.